right, so uh, in the way that we always meet uh, people nowadays is over Twitter or social media, and somehow it was connected with the Hometown uh, Ghost Stories podcast. Was it over Twitter? It was over Twitter, yeah. We uh, hit 1.8 million on a TikTok. So I was like, it's a paranormal show. Chris Jericho's into paranormal stuff. I just want to let him know that we have a, a footprint in this and see if he wanted to talk about some ghost stuff. And that's great. So, so it's Rob and Dave and Jesse. And um, it's really interesting because you guys said you just started this podcast only a few months ago. Yeah. Uh, what prompted you to start this? And uh, it's obviously blown up really well if you've gotten this type of numbers on TikTok, etc. So we started it because I grew up in a house that was like extremely haunted. And throughout the years, it was in my family. And Dave and Jesse, we've been friends for such a long time. They also experienced everything at the house that I experienced as well. And it kind of brought us to a lot more paranormal stuff. So growing up in that house, along with all the experiences throughout the years, is what brought us wanting to do a podca podcast about it. What kind of stuff happened at his house, guys? Well, you name it. I mean, let Rob tell the story. But there was it, it started with Rob telling us, like, oh, my house is haunted. We're like, oh, that's cool. Let's get shit faced and do some ghost hunting. And you know, we, so we, we would do it in a very amateur style and started documenting it and interviewing his grandmother who had lived at the house. And uh, I'll let Rob tell the story, but it started with footsteps. And but he's got some crazy stories. Yeah, give us because we're talking about the most haunted house in America today. But you grew up in a, a very haunted house as well. So let's tell us about it. Yeah. So when I was eight years old, I knew nothing about this house. Right. Um, Eight, my little brother's two. He's sleeping upstairs by himself for a nap. Middle of the day, me and my mother are downstairs. We hear him start scream crying, like terrifying. He was a kid that got into a lot of things. We thought he hurt himself. We rush up the stairs and his back's in the corner and he's pointing. He's white as a ghost going, the man, mommy, the man. Two, year, two years old. He doesn't know what a ghost is. So... Years later, there would be more things that would happen, footsteps that you would hear and stuff like that. And I looked into the house and it turns out the original owner of the house, he was a farmer. It was a farm at one point. He had, it's in the Enterprise, which is a local newspaper. It's all documented. What cities is in? Bridgewater, Massachusetts. So uh, Bridgewater, Bridgewater Triangle. Triangle yes. Yeah. So he went out to get this cow that he lost. And he never came back. And while the newspaper's there interviewing the family, the cow comes out of the woods, the dog comes out of the woods, but the man never returned and they never found his body. So eventually that would leave the family. Another family moved in. They got too scared. Um, my mom went to school with the kids from the family. They were like, we were there for nine months. Family was too scared. They moved. And then my mom's family moved in in 1968. So we had the house from like 1968 to about 2013, 2014. And the story with my brother I just told you, I'll show you at some point, but there's a picture that I took in the fireplace. And when you look at this picture, you can see a skull in the Oof. fire, which is terrifying. Yeah. And the last story I'll tell is Jesse was a DJ for a number of years. I used to go to a lot of his shows, went out one night, didn't drink at all this night come home at two o'clock in the morning i leave my tv on in my bed bedroom like you know yeah i go to the bathroom i hear a conversation happening don't think anything of it i walk out of the bathroom go into my bedroom my tv's off the conversation stops and i'm like 
And then I hear someone yell from the top of the stairs. I'm home by myself. And it was terrifying. And I know people look at this stuff and like, unless you experience it, it's very skeptical. But every time I tell that story, I still get goosebumps. Mm -hmm. It's that house was terrifying. There was another night when um, me and the, me and the wife, we went over to the house. There was a huge snowstorm that was coming and we're like, all right, well, if we we either get snowed in and we lose electricity at home or we go to Rob's house where he has a fireplace where we can build a fire and at least stay warm because we knew it was going to happen. It was like going to be a brutal snowstorm. So we went there and we stayed there and we've told the story on the podcast a few times because it keeps coming up, but we're all just hanging out downstairs because upstairs is too terrifying. Nobody goes upstairs. The second floor is, every room is horrifying. It looks like something out of a horror movie. Like, like it wasn't up kept. It was just, you know, it was, it was terrifying. But so we're all hanging out downstairs and we hear clear as day footsteps just walk down the hall and then take a turn down the hall and go down into a bedroom. And we all just looked at each other. Every single one of us in the room heard it. And um, at the time we had a dog, his name was Max. And Max would go to the foot of the stairs and just bark up the stairs. He wouldn't go, he refused to go up there. And what was interesting was on the podcast. So we, we had been doing the podcast for a little bit. It was getting pretty, pretty popular. We got an email. We did, episode one was about this. And we didn't, uh, we got an email from a listener and the listener was like, hey, I know you didn't release the address, but just out of curiosity, is this the address? And Rob's like, yeah, it is. And she's like, I'm the new owner of that house. And then she told us her ghost stories and they were identical. But stories that I haven't told anybody that match. Mm -hmm. So she was telling me stuff happening to her that I never said, and it matched to a T and the house has been renovated. Interesting, right? So it's it's crazy. This the thing like uh, talking with a lot of different, you know, ghost experiences and experts. There's two types of ghosts. There's the ghosts that haunt people, right. where you can move to a hundred different houses and they'll follow you. But then there's ghosts that actually live in the house, and that seems like you have this in your old place. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's what it is because this house is renovated completely now. They've offered for me to go see the house, which I'm going to do at some point soon. But some of the stuff that happens, it's just it's crazy to hear other people have the same stuff when you haven't mentioned it. You right, know? right, right. Yeah. And, and we'll get into the, the Sally House, but the Bridgewater Triangle, I actually did a, I guess you'd call it a pilot. I think it was for the History Channel or Travel Channel mm-hmm. where we did an hour, you know, didn't get picked up, but delved into the whole Bridgewater Triangle, went out there, saw some shit. Yeah. I'm telling you, like, you think about like, oh, come on, but I'm, I saw some shit. Any, anything that stands out? Orbs. Orbs, yeah. yeah. We saw some orbs. It was right by the cliff. Uh, you guys probably know it well. It's, it's like Yeah, the one where you can see the face, prof, Profile yeah. Rock. Yeah, where the the bride jumped or, or yeah. the, whatever the story was. The, either, the, either the Indian bride jumped mm-hmm. or is that what it was? Something along those lines? I think lines? that's Profile Rock. I right? think that's Profile yeah. Rock, yeah. Yeah, but it's, yeah it's, it's haunted, you know, obviously. Yep. Up on top of that, mm-hmm. you stare down and it goes straight down. It's like a, a quarry or whatever yep. it may be. And up there in the forest up there, we saw some orbs. It was, it was, it was pretty, uh, pretty impressive, to be honest with you. So The Bridgewater Triangle is just an interesting thing all around because it has everything, right? Everything. Everything. And so uh, for people that don't know, it, and the reason why it would have made for a good show is it's a one-stop supernatural shop. Yeah. It's where there was a, a, the, the War of King Philip, King Philip, Philip yep. where yep. 5,000 people died, 5,000 Native Americans and pilgrims, and it's just a bad vibe area yeah you have the whole freetown state force which is yes. absolutely insane cult activity uh, cult yeah. giant snakes little leprechauns ufos yeah. ghosts thunderbirds thunderbirds bigfoot <laughs> you know you name yeah. it giant 
walking squids, like whatever you want to yeah. call it. Yeah. Right? We so. made fun of my aunt for years. She would tell a story about seeing pterodactyls. Yeah, that's and, another one. And we would make fun of her for it. And then after digging into more of the Bridgewater Triangle, I'm like, oh, my God. There's like, still a story there that, that, that you could do, at least a documentary or something. We're, we actually do plan to do a multi-part Bridgewater Triangle episode. On that, yeah, for yeah. sure, for sure. Yeah. Well, let's talk a little bit about, about you guys sent me a bunch of topics. Cause I have, that's one cool thing about my show is... is people know that it deals a lot with paranormal supernatural and cryptozoology and that sort of thing so i get people asking to do the show and i'm open to anybody but what's the topic what can we talk about right. you guys gave me a couple ideas but the one that we settled on was was the sally house yes which i know nothing about other than after you told me about it, i did a brief you know search online found out a few things but i kind of like the idea that i know nothing about this because i'm assuming a lot of uh, a lot of our listeners won't know it either. Although I, my teenage daughters are super into ghosts. They just went on a ghost hunt last night in Boston. Oh, really? I live all places. And they said, we just heard about the Sally house the other day. So it's, it's super haunted. I'm like, oh, cool. Well, I'm going to find out all about it. So yeah. kind of uh, lead us through the story of uh, Atchison, Kansas and the Sally house. Yeah. So Atchison, Kansas is where this takes place, which if you don't know Atchison, it's about 60 miles away from Topeka, Kansas. And this house was built in 1871 by a guy named Michael Croman Finney. And he actually, uh, unfortunately, died a year after building the house. He died in the house. And his son, Dr. Charles Finney, uh, ended up taking over the house. And he was uh, the local town doctor. He was kind of a master of all trades. He was the town doctor, lawyer, mayor. Figure skater. He was a figure oh, skater. Unbelievably talented <laughs> like figure skater. Jade, Chris Jericho just does everything, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he was such a good figure skater that... Uh, the the town got sick of him winning all the competitions to a point where he actually cross-dressed and went in and won a woman's competition what? too yeah bro he's he was this good what year is this late 1800s yeah, late 1800s. Yeah, the fact that he cross-dressed he had the, the audacity to enter the women's yeah. contest so they had like they actually had like a, a legitimate flyer that said like local figure skating championship all are welcome Except for C.C. Finney. They, like, they counted him out because they were sick of it. Sick Reminds of me of when I used to be in Japan and you'd go to all-you-can-eat, like a Shabu Shabu. It was basically, it's like a fondue, roast beef. You dip it in a boiling water. And it was all-you-can-eat. It said all-you-can-eat for uh, for everybody except for sumo and pro wrestlers. <laughs> you oh, allowed. no, that's you. Yeah, <laughs> you I, was, that. I wasn't allowed to go to the all-you-can-eat Shabu Shabu. So. <laughs> go ahead, so, Dr. Charles Finney, he lived, obviously, in the, in the Sally House. It wasn't known as the Sally House at the time, but he ran his medical practice out of the house. So, people would come to him, to the house, to have certain procedures done, typically nothing major. But one year, uh, a woman brought her little daughter, who was around five or six years old, to the doctor's house because she was in excruciating pain. L little girl was screaming, so he brought her in, and after looking at her, he... He determined that she had uh, her appendix had burst, so she had an advanced case of appendicitis. Wasn't enough time to get her to the hospital, so he elected to do the surgery in the house. Which so, he was under underqualified for, to say the least. Yeah, but he at the time he just figured this is her best option for survival. Didn't really want to do it, but he's like, I guess we're doing it. The problem is, is he didn't wait long enough for the anesthetics to kick in, and he started the appendectomy before she was under. So that didn't go well. So she was screaming, bucking, kicking, and just thrashing. And she probably assumed that this guy was just torturing her to death. Because, you know, what's a little girl going to 
think if this is the type of things happening to her. So she didn't survive the surgery, long story short. And um, she was seven, you said? Seven, she was six six, five, six, five, or six or seven. The record. Very, very young child. Very young. So the record keeping is kind of sketchy back then. They had. Um, a lot of the records were lost. I mean, at this time, record keeping was pretty bad, anyways, as we mention every week on our show. But there was also. Atchison was prone to flooding, and a lot of the records were lost. So this is mostly just passed down from people telling the story over and over again. So they assume her name was Sally. They assume yeah. she was about six years old. But. There's several variations of it, but this is like the bare bones, like what actually gets transla- translated through every story. Is that why it's called the Sally House, named after this little girl? Uh, that's what we believe, and we'll gotcha. definitely get into that, about how they found out her name was Sally. Oh, okay, gotcha. Yeah. Right. So fast forward about 100 years, um, 1992, a new couple move in, a newly married couple named Deb and Tony Pickman. And they were just married, and they are expecting a new baby, and they are excited to move into this house. They were renting it, and the first order of business was to pick out the nursery for the baby. So they decide on one of the bedrooms upstairs. Deborah loved the room. Tony loved the room. Uh, but their dog did not love the room. So for whatever reason, uh, the dog would just stand at the, the door, the opening to this room, and just bark and growl. First, refused standing up, yep. refused to enter. Tony would go in. He's looking for like an animal or something because he's like, what's wrong with the dog? Why doesn't the dog like this room? Couldn't figure it out. Dog just didn't like the room for whatever reason. So that was kind of... Quick segue because you mentioned Max, your old dog, was barking up the stairs. Mm-hmm. It, it, are dogs more um, prone to, to feeling the spirits? Is, is, yeah, is I, think it's, I think it's dogs and they say it about cats and animals altogether. They can feel and the And children too. So like with my brothers actually seeing the figure right. of the man... So a lot of animals, like every dog we brought to that house would bark up the staircase. Yeah, that's why and you, the new owner said her dog would bark up the staircase. At the, yeah. at that and house. you see a lot of things that like you mentioned the children that like you always hear about this children with imaginary friends that they're talking sure. to. And it always it ends up being that someone that died in the house 75 years ago. You know, like, yeah. And they always have these weird names like, you know, like, oh, this is my he has her imaginary friend Gertrude or something like that. They don't hear anymore. Yeah, exactly. Muriel or something. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You know, it's it's interesting too, because I have five dogs and sometimes they'll just burst out into just crazy barking Mm -hmm. and it'll be like, you know, what are you barking at? There's no one around. You know what I mean? You always kind of wonder like, are they they seeing something that we're not here? You know? Yeah. And what you look for is like a continuation of that. So it's like, if you have one dog that barks into a certain room and then you bring another dog over the house and that dog also won't go into that that room, that's when you see the consistency in those patterns. And that's when you start to wonder, are they seeing something that we don't see? And you see the same thing with kids as well. The story is kind of interesting with that aspect too. And you'll kind of learn about this later is when a dog senses their owner doesn't like someone or doesn't like something, they will react negatively to that. But once the owner of the dog accepts, like they see the, you know, the owner acting normal around somebody or they've accepted someone, the dog obviously calms down and is cool with them. And that's the case in this house. We'll get into that. But um, other weird things started happening after they moved in. Tony would make, he was trying to call the local hardware store to get some paint to paint the baby's room and the phone call would just cut off or there'd just be a bunch of static, which is weird, but you don't really think anything of stuff like that. Lights would flicker and dim to the point where they actually had an electrician come out to check out like see what's going on like why are all these lights yeah, they figured there was a short or something going on at the house some kind you of know old tube. house probably had knob and tube wiring but the electrician came out and said there's absolutely nothing wrong with the electric in your house i don't know why your lights are flickering and dimming like this so they just kind of left it at that so getting into it they had a neighbor that came over to them around this time and the neighbor was like hey um why do you guys leave the, the lights on in the nursery every night 
and they didn't. They're like, no, we shut those off every night. So this is when it started. Like this is when they're like, things are a little weird here. Did they know that they that the about the uh, Sally the girl? Not, not yet. They knew nothing about it. Gotcha. Yeah, they they just bought the house and knew it was an old house, and that was that was. Yeah, it. they were renting it they, from from a local police officer that bought the house. Gotcha. Um, but yeah, they they just moved in because they needed a place to stay mm-hmm. with their new family. Yeah, they were having a new baby. They need more space. Yep. Typical story. In the seventies, they passed a law that I believe it's federal law that you have to disclose if somebody died in the house. But whereas the records weren't official on this story there was no gotcha. there was no reason for them to have to also, disclose I mean, that like the, the finneys like we said cc or mc bought it cc took over i mean the, the finneys were in the house for what 70 something years they in the, i mean when you whenever you have generations of a family and people are going to die in the house of course right so uh right around the time the nursery was complete uh deborah went into labor you know they couldn't have timed it any better tony took her to the hospital and when they came back uh he brought the baby upstairs to the nursery and when he opened the door to the nursery he had found all of the stuffed animals that they had put away in the nursery were sitting in the middle of the floor arranged in a circle facing outward so he was like that's weird wow that's beyond weird that is weird terrifying he goes downstairs to deb he's like deb uh what's going on with the stuffed animals did you do this before we left or did um he's like i know your sister was over did she do this and she was like no this is this is not something that um, they would have done, but they called, uh, it was actually Tony's sister or sister-in-law and they called her to ask. And she's like, um, I wasn't going to tell you cause I don't want to freak you out. But when I came over to drop off the high chair, I went up, I wanted to go upstairs to check out the nursery, but I only got halfway up the stairs before I got a really uncomfortable feeling. And I got, there was a cool breeze that like hit her on the yep, way up the stairs a, too. A weird cool breeze hit her halfway up the stairs and she got too uncomfortable and left. So they're like, oh, that is weird. Hmm. And then I think it was, they were having the brother and the sister-in-law and everyone was over and they were having a gathering. And this is when things started getting real crazy with the teddy bears in the nursery again. Right. So a few, so before that happened, a few weeks after adjusting, the baby would, wouldn't sleep through the night. Baby was up screaming at all hours of the night. So uh, Deborah's sister, Karen, came over to spend, you know, to give the family a little bit of a break. And she was over one night and she rushed up the stairs because she had heard the dog barking at the room again. And when she got to the room, she had noticed, again, all of the stuffed animals were arranged in a circle, facing outward, and the lights were on in the room. And she's like, I didn't turn these lights on. She's freaked out. So she went to go wake up Tony and Deb, and they came in, and now they're all freaked out. So now is when... Just a segue. This is not a matter now of dimming lights and cold breezes. This is actual physical objects being set up like some kind of a ritual or some kind of symbolism and that exactly. really freaks me out because that means that these the, the, the presence the spirit whatever you want the ghost can actually move shit around right, right. it's not just coming from one area either they were saying that they would have a doll against this wall they'd have a doll against the window they'd have a doll up on this one they'd have a doll inside the crib and it didn't matter where they put them they all kept ending up in that circle in the middle of the room or they would just get tossed around too and i think we're about to get to that so when they had that whole night where all of them were over they would keep going in the room, be like, "Oh, the teddy bear moved again. Teddy bears, oh, that one's on the floor again." And they just kept getting moved around, and like things just kept escalating to a point where they're all freaking each other out, and they're trying to keep they're trying to keep an eye on on every other person, so they'd make sure that like, okay, this isn't this person doing this and pranking yeah. us, because that's your first thought always, right? Like right. someone's so messing with us. Yeah. yeah, can't be a ghost moving these teddy bears. Right, right. Yeah, Tony had a brother, George, who was over, and George and Tony would would always play, play pranks on each other. 
And uh, so George was over one night to check the house out, and Deb was really hoping that something would happen just so that, you know, George would believe. And they made it up to the nursery, and George was just kind of joking around. He takes his camera out, and he's like, say cheese, Sally, and he snaps a picture. And as he snaps the picture, they all see the teddy bear on the other side of the room rotates 180 degrees right in front of them all. So they all freak out, and they run out the bedroom door, and they're running down the stairs, but George got, like, stuck in the room. Like, he couldn't move. Like, something was, like, like almost right. like keeping him in the room. So he's really freaked out now. Eventually, he breaks free or whatever that was, and he's, he starts running down the stairs. Halfway down the stairs, Tony feels like something jabs him in the back, and he looks, turns around expecting to see George behind him, but George wasn't behind him because George was stuck in the room still. He's like, whatever. They run down the stairs out into the front yard, and they lift Tony's shirt up to see what was wrong, and he's got three long scratches down the center of his back in a spot that he never would have been able to reach, and nobody was behind him. Yeah, There was always a consistency with these scratches where two of them would be straight, and one of them would be kind of curled, almost like whatever scratch him had, like a claw or something. Mm. It, it was, But they had said that it was always, because con- little precursor here, this wasn't the first time this man would get scratched. And it would always be the same kind of pattern where one goes across and two goes straight. And uh, this started a trend, and it was uh, just on Tony in particular, too. Typically in these cases with um, malignant entities, you get three scratches or, like, they'll hear three knocks or things will happen at 3 a.m., like in Amityville. It's always in threes. It's in threes, and that's kind of like a mock of the Holy Trinity. So when you have situations like that, you kind of got to think this could be, you know, demonic. Uh, but they they're not, still weren't thinking that yet. They though. weren't thinking that at the time. So Tony's freaked out. He calls his mother, and he's telling her about it. And she says, I actually know the people who rented that house before you guys. I can reach out to them and see if there's any if it's thing, any stories that they had that would be consistent with what you guys are saying. So, um, Well, they like, called the medium first, right? The bef- medium came to the house. So uh, George, or it was Larry, Deb's brother-in-law, he was saying he works with somebody who knew Barbara O'Connors, who was a psychic medium, like a, a fairly famous one at the time. And she called the house and she said that she can sometimes get readings from um, people or houses just over the phone, which sounds kind of crazy. But she was able to just by talking with them over the phone. She says, you have the ghost of a little girl named Sally. She's about between five and seven years old. She's a friendly ghost. She's not harmful. You have nothing to worry about. She likes the new baby. But, you know, maybe just be stern with her. And if she's doing something that she shouldn't, you know, treat her like she's your child and she just needs parenting. How does the medium find that out just from talking on the phone, right? I don't know. Mediums are... I always go skeptical when, I'm, when, I'm, when people are telling me about mediums personally because it just sounds so bonkers to me. Yeah. But then they come up with some stuff that's like, how do you get there? Like, right. how do you figure that out? So right, right, right. my mind's always blown. So I, I don't will know. say the consistency in this case and the consistency with a lot of the cases that we deal with is a lot of these places, and I'm not saying anything bad about mediums, but whenever these people bring mediums into the situation, it gets worse. It, it amplifies worse. it 10 times worse. Uh, <laughs> so here's the crazy part about that, though, and we're like, you get real skeptical about these mediums. So as Dave was saying, they called the mother. The mother said she knew the previous people. So a few days later, she calls her son back, and she's like, well, I talked to the people that used to live there, and they said, well... The woman that I know had a little daughter, and she would be playing in her room, and when we'd come home, sometimes her toys would be moved, and we don't know who did it. And then she said her daughter had an imaginary friend in the house. We didn't think much of it, and he's like, what was the name? What was the imaginary friend's name? And she's like, oh, she said it was Sally, which is crazy, yeah, right? Exactly. Like, So everything comes around kind of full circle. Mm-hmm. 
So this is where the story really kind of picks up. They called it, they actually called. So after they found out that Barbara O'Connor's was right, they called her up and were like, this is crazy. She, they, they told her about Tony getting scratched in the back. And they're like, we think that this entity might be dangerous. It's important to know. became demonic. Exactly. So um, now, oddly enough, Deborah has a strange attachment to this ghost. She feels almost like a mothering kind of role to this ghost. Which is um, the opposite of what Tony was feeling at the time. So Tony's getting attacked, right? He's getting scratched. And meanwhile, his wife is taking on like the motherly role where she's like, oh, we have to welcome this. She's, yeah. I mean, she's also listening to the advice from the medium where she's, she's like, you sure. got to take this right. spirit in and be nice to her and, you know, like, like treat her like you would treat a child. So she's buying gifts for it. She's setting a place for it at the table. She's taking all these precautions to make sure that this spirit feels welcome inside the house. Well, let's talk about the gift that she bought for Sally. So uh, Deborah comes home with a gift wrap box. Right. This is a little bit before Christmas time. And Tony's like, what's what's with the box? And she's like, oh, it's just a little gift that I bought for Sally because she's being so good lately. And Tony's like, what is going on? What are you doing? This is crazy. She's like, it you know, blows him off. She goes upstairs and she puts the wrapped gift in the middle of the room and leaves the room. And Tony's following her down the hallway like, this is nuts. Don't you think this is? And now he stops because they both hear something dragging across the bedroom floor. So they're like, uh-oh. So they turn around, they go back in. The, the box had been moved from the middle of the floor oh over God. to the side, still unwrapped, or still completely wrapped, unopened. But the doll that Deborah bought is in the middle of the crib with wow. the box still wrapped. So they're like, oh my God, what is going on? How <laughs> so, the hell does that happen? I don't That's know. Crazy. I don't know. It's crazy, man. Like everything that you hear about this house and it just escalates and it escalates and it escalates and you're like, and you're like, you don't want to believe it, but... Then you hear about other people's stories again that happen afterwards and everything that happened to the Pikmins is wild. And another thing that they discovered is that 40 years that the Finneys didn't live there and between the Pikmins moving in is what they ended up coming up. Like it's attacking Tony is because he's the first male that's lived in the house since the oh, since the Finneys lived there. Yeah, for the most part, it was women and, you know, mother daughters that were, yeah. they were moving in. Right. So there was no men in the house. So she... And if you think back to if you buy into the story that Sally was the little girl who was killed by the doctor, accidentally or not, uh, her the last thing she's looking at is this man torturing her to death for whatever reason, or right. that's that's what's in her that's mind, right? Sees, yeah. And then all of a sudden, forty years later, boom, or however many years later, now there's a man in the house again, so she's going to be angry towards him. The other thing we should mention about Tony is Tony was a very very religious person, grew up Catholic, did not believe in any of this, didn't want anything to do with the paranormal. Had it just it just wasn't in his upbringing, so he was super against it. Um, the wife Deborah, she was she was a little more into it. She always had, was kind of curious as a kid, just always wanted to have some kind of connection with the afterlife or the paranormal, and so she was more open to it, which was obviously why she was more welcoming towards Sally. Meanwhile, he's very standoffish, and all these bad things are happening to him. He's like, "How the hell did I get in this yeah, situation?" Yeah, yeah. You know. So as Deborah became more and more obsessed with Sally, Tony started to become more and more distressed. Uh, he began hearing disembodied voices. He'd wake up in the middle of the night to sh feeling like sharp little teeth are biting his toes. He'd kick the covers off to reveal nothing biting him, but uh, on more than one occasion, there would be little bite marks that were too small to be an adult and too big to be like a rodent or a cat or something. There were also in places that like he couldn't have inflicted himself. Like he was saying like one was like right oh, on yeah, the back of his leg. bite your own toes. It's, I've tried. <laughs> <laughs> I'd love to see you try. We should get into the kitchen incident. Yeah. He wakes up in the middle of the night. No, it was the morning. He so wakes he up wakes in the morning. morning. 
Deborah's still sleeping. He walks downstairs, he walks into the kitchen. He's just gonna get his normal breakfast, get his coffee ready, and he hears a noise behind him. And so he turns around, and there's a little girl there. And he like freezes, because obviously no one's supposed to be there, no little girl's supposed to be there. The crazy part is, she looks back at him, and she's just as scared that he can see her oh. as he can see. Oh. So, and as he's looking, he notices that he can see the door frame through her. Like, he's looking through her. Right. And oh, then, man. so if you go online and you look for a picture of Sally, he drew what he saw that day in the kitchen, which is... He said that was the first thing he did as soon as he saw... As soon as he realized it was a ghost, because it seems like the way he tells the story, when he sees this little girl, he sees her, she's dressed in, like, period clothing from whatever year, and he's like, oh, she's dressed really nicely. And he said that they weren't, like, dingy clothes. Like, you know, when you right. expect, if you if you were to see a ghost, you'd expect to be in some kind of scary of nightgown, like right. something out of the it's ring or something. But no, he said she was very well-dressed. And the, uh, But it, it wasn't until he realized that he could see through her that he was like, oh, wait a second, I'm looking at a ghost. And she was just as scared to see him. And so the first thing he did was he ran right upstairs, told the wife about it. She didn't believe him again. So he just, he, the first thing he did was just sat down and he drew a picture. And you can still find that picture online mm-hmm. of the exact picture that he drew of that ghost, which actually has a weird connection to another witness you're talking about the Velisca one? No, no, no. There was a, I think it was the woman who lived in the house before them or after them, but she had an imaginary friend as a child, and she had said that once she saw that picture that he drew, she's oh, yeah, like, the one that's that like, was my imaginary friend Yeah, the one kid. that said that she had the imaginary right. friend. Yeah, right. that said it looked exactly like her. So the so. picture was like an exact drawing. So that happened. He saw the ghost on, it was actually the morning of Halloween, and then after that, kind of everything quieted down. There wasn't a whole lot of activity for a couple of months. So fast forward to December 18th, the Pickmans are hosting a Christmas party and um, Deb, Tony's like relaxed. There hasn't been a, you know, an event in a, in a couple of months. He's good, but Deb is stressed out. She had, she, she mentioned that she forgot to buy um, Sally a Christmas present. She's afraid that she was going to act out. So um, all the guests arrived and the party went on and everything was fine. As the guests were leaving, Tony starts heading up the stairs and he halfway up the stairs, he steps over a little rag doll that was laying on the stairs. And as he gets to the top, he hears his brother from the bottom of the stairs yell, Tony, behind you, turns around. The little rag doll is in flames on fire. Thing just completely spontaneously combusted and bursted into flames. This so he, is where things start getting. So he, gra- he grabs the doll and he. He runs upstairs, doll on fire, grabs it and goes to go put it on the sink upstairs, right? Yep. Yeah. yep. Puts it out in the sink. And um, that freaked them out, obviously. A couple nights later, Tony's lying in bed, just staring up at the ceiling. And he starts to doze off. And as he's falling asleep, he fears, feels two screaming hot hands grab, his butt, grab him by the ankles and yanks him out of bed onto the floor. And he wakes up. Deb wakes up. He's like, what the hell was that? And they see on his ankles are five blisters on each ankle in the shape of little fingerprints. So there's now like tangible evidence that something's going on there. This is like paranormal activity. The the movie when you're getting pulled out of bed. It just gets worse and worse too. There was a point where he had seen, I don't know if you're going to get into the story later. I don't want to ruin the timeline here, but he had seen the girl at the, the same Sally girl at the foot of his bed, like the ghost of Sally. And at this point she's, she's trying to climb up him. And on like the third tug that she gives him, she changes from that little girl to like an evil, like older woman. Oh, wow. And this is when he realized like, this might not be the ghost of a little girl. This might be something different posing as a little girl, which is a common theory about this house. Sure. Sure. So they had pictures developed from the party and in a couple of the pictures they had these really 
scary looking dark shadow figures that freaked out. Now Deb's starting to get freaked out too. She's a little bit less, you know, um, accepting of this little girl ghost and now more freaked out. So they call up Barbara O'Connors again and they tell her everything. And now the medium is a little bit freaked out. She says, you might be dealing with multiple spirits here. There might, there's this little ghost, ghost of Sally, but there's also sounds like you have a malignant entity in the house also. So now they're really starting to think about, it could be demons. So um, Barbara O'Connors is a pretty big name, or she was at the time, and she would do these speaking tours and she would talk about the, this particular case um, with anonymity. She wouldn't say their names or anything, but the 90s TV show Sightings got wind of it. I don't know if you remember that show from the 90s. Yeah, yeah. And they wanted to go out and check out the house. So they did just that and they came out and the, the family wanted to, re- <laughs> to remain anonymous. So they changed the names of the families and they blurred people's faces out and whatnot. Um, and when they're there, right off the bat, they're interviewing Deb and Tony's off on the, on the side and he's got scratches that are appearing on his body in real time so immediately everybody like all the production crew is like now focusing in on tony because they are watching and it's on camera you can go look up the episodes on youtube scratches just appearing on his body in real time and bleeding and they're like baffled trying to figure it out the show host actually came out to the house for the first time in the show's history like he's never done that before he's like i gotta see this and you could see it one of the scratches that showed up was on his back and you can actually see the footage of this, and it's in the initials MC on his back, which if you go back to the guy who built the house, Michael Croman Finney, they called him MC Finney. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so fact, another thing that happens during the sightings. So remember how he just said that they changed the names for everyone involved yeah. in it? So at one point, as you're aware with the television stuff, a big no-no is to like break character and stuff like yeah. that. At one point in the episode, they're screaming his name. They're like, Tony, 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 you got something going on in your back. They're not using the fake name. So you can see the distress in the crew members that are like trying to help him as he's getting these scratches on this. Is he in pain? Is he feeling this? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. yeah, you can see it. And I, I know once he got scratched for the first time and the crew noticed it, they sat him in the chair and they just pointed the cameras at him. They're like, don't move. And then you could still see, like with the cameras in real time focused on him, you could still see the scratches just forming on him. And then you also see him get worse. You see him bubble up and just start to bleed. And it's, just, it's crazy to see it in real time because you don't get a lot of, I mean, like we've said this before, like, like the, with the podcast, I mean, with the podcast, I'm sorry, with, with a lot of like ghost investigations and stuff and a lot of the evidence that's captured, when you run into like, when you see that someone gets scratched, my first reaction is like, you did that. You did that to yourself. You did that to yourself and now you're putting a camera on Now you're taking a picture of it. But when you see it happen in real time, that's rare. You know, there's a, no way that the guy's doing it. It's literally just appearing out of thin air. They would follow him to every room he went into the house to make sure he wasn't doing something to himself. It, right, it got even crazier. And unfortunately, they missed this, but I, I don't think the film crew would lie about it. At one point, Tony's back just bursts on fire. And they're like, yeah, and they, they didn't get it on camera because it had, yeah, this yeah. guy got the worst of it. But yeah, his, his shirt was just on fire. They put him on like, dude, you were just on fire. And that's not the first time. And that's not the, uh, this whole fire theme recurs in this house throughout the haunting. So you'd have spontaneous fires that would that would pop up in the house. Right. So like um, they had a windowsill, and it would just light up on fire, and then it would go out. It would extinguish. It would extinguish itself. Like it would never spread. Like in a controlled fashion, though, like almost like a controlled burn where it would yeah. go up and then be easy enough to put out, which is weird because you know how a house is like those things will go up in like a second. Sure. So yeah, especially these older houses. And when they bought the house, they noticed that there was there was evidence of. Uh, a fire that had previously happened in the attic as well. So it's not like this was the first time that a fire had happened in the location. 
Right. So the sightings show wrapped up. They didn't really solve anything, and they left. Just made and it worse. They just made it worse. <laughs> so uh, Deborah agreed to have a medium come out, um, not Barbara, but a different one, to come out and do a cleansing of the house to expel any of the spirits. So before the medium started the uh, cleansing process, they asked, are there any spirits that you don't want expelled from the house? And Tony's like, nope, get them all out. But Deborah was like, no, I want to keep Sally. Oh. So and Tony's just like, what are we doing? <laughs> what <laughs> what are do you doing mean? Why are you doing this to me? <laughs> Why did we make this phone call in the first place? <laughs> so uh, they did the cleansing and they, they hung on to Sally for whatever reason. And this um, really upset Tony. And it didn't solve the problem either. The problem got worse. I think before we get away, I, I do want to go back to the settings episode real quick because they, they brought in a psychic. And I found this really interesting. And a lot of times with psychics, you wonder what's the authenticity. You know, they're typically very loopy people. And this guy was pretty loopy as well. But he had brought up things where unless he did some underground investigation that he didn't tell them about, he was bringing up things that he couldn't have known. Like soon, as soon as he came in the house, he didn't even get in the house. He's standing on the front yard. He's pointing up at the window. He goes, there's a little girl looking at me through the window. And then he goes in the house and he's talking to her up the stairs. So he's talking to this ghost at the top of the stairs. You can't see anything on camera, but he can see something. And he's like, what is your name? He's like, Sally. He's like, your name, her name is Sally. And then what was crazier about that, and obviously if he had heard about that, then that's nothing groundbreaking. It could have been fake. But what was crazier is he's like, I need to go to the local cemetery and, and go visit the cemetery. I, I think she might be buried there. And they go to that cemetery and he goes and he finds this unmarked grave with this tombstone that's very weathered. You can't read anything on it. He's like, I think she was buried here. And they did. They looked up the, uh, the grave site and that plot, the person that was buried there was named Sally. Mm. Now there's conflicting reports on... There's a discrepancy on who was actually buried there. It, it looks like it's about a 35-year-old woman. Okay. But what they're... But what they believe happened with this 35-year-old woman, she lived a mile down the road. It was at the same time as C.C. Finney. So if she was using a doctor, she was using right. him. And it is said that she is buried with one of her daughters, and the name's unknown. And that daughter we could be another Sally. We don't know that for sure. Yeah, I mean, she had like 12 kids, and I guess 10 of them died like as babies. Which was pretty common back then. Right, that happened. That still sounds like a lot, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's definitely <laughs> on the... Uh, yeah. yeah, not good. Um, so after the cleansing, Tony just gets worse and worse. He starts hearing voices now. And at first, the voices are just voices, and he can't really, you know... They're inarticulable. He can't figure out what they're saying. But over time, they start to become more clear and concise. And there's a, there was a... Um, he, he was in the kitchen one morning, and he came in, and there's a stray cat standing on the uh, kitchen island or on the kitchen table. And, um, you know, warning for anyone listening, um, this, this gets pretty brutal. He blacks out and hits the floor. And before he, before he blacked out, he had the voice in his head telling him to kill the cat. Oh so he wakes up and there's blood everywhere. And the cat is pinned to the kitchen table with the kitchen knife. Oh my gosh. So he's like, oh my God, did I do this? He's like, and he's just, he gotta, he's like, I gotta clean this up before Deb comes home and sees it. So he takes the cat out back, buries it, cleans up the kitchen. And the voice comes back telling him to kill his wife. Oh, my God. So he's this now... Is, this is Tony telling these stories and everything? Yeah. Yeah, this is Tony telling the story after the fact. And he's not proud of this stuff. He tells the story now just, you know, to, I guess... That's crazy. Their stories never change. This is total either. Amityville horror, you know, yeah. horror movie stuff. It, it, it's, it does remind me a lot of that story. Yeah. Uh, Amityville's obviously got the big name. There's no movies about the Sally House. There should be because yeah. this is a crazy story. 
now Tony's really trying to get Deb to move out of the house. He's like, I don't, he, without telling her why, he's like, we're not safe here. This, whatever's here is, wants to hurt us. It wants to kill us. We got to get out of the house. She finally ended up agreeing when Tony was up at the top of the stairs and something shoved him from behind in, into the banister, which broke a few of the spindles and he almost fell, which could have been to his death down the right, stairs. Right. She's like, all right, fine, enough's enough. They decided to move out of the house. They were there for a total of 18 months and they moved about a mile down the road. They stayed in the same neighborhood, but they moved out. But it didn't really end for Tony. He still, like we mentioned earlier, the entity seemed to attach itself to him and followed them. Um, it wasn't as bad as when they were in the house, but he would still occasionally hear voices. One day, um, Deb woke up and Tony wasn't there. She's like, where is he? This is weird. He's usually here at this time. And he had, they found him. He was in, at, back at the Sally house in the garden, kneeling, just staring up at the window in a trance. Is he like possessed or something? Or? That's what they make it yeah, out. Yeah, so By be. the way, it was a snowstorm. And he wasn't wearing any shoes or socks either, according to himself. So, Wow. Pretty uh, wild. Some kind of some, something is guiding him. Yeah. yeah. So it, the question is, what is it that was in this house or is still in this house? Apparently it's, and as we were talking about earlier, it's a girl. But as I'm sure you're aware, like anyone that says something's demonic, they always disguise themselves as something innocent. And it's usually in the form of a sure. child or something like that. So is Sally an actual being or is it some sort of demonic presence that was in the house? Yeah, because a lot of times these, and like you were just saying, they'll they'll disguise themselves as a little girl or something that was a right. little bit more welcoming to get your guard down, to get you to accept that spirit and be yeah, like, okay, yeah, yeah. it's just a little girl. It's not a threat. Meanwhile, it's a demon or something, something terrible. And he's still connected to the house. He obviously doesn't live there anymore. And he's saying that like, he'll get, uh, he, he's had everything in his new house, which has nothing to do with the Sally house. He's had knives thrown at him. And he says, usually like when this happens, it means something bad is happening at right. the house. Maybe there's a paranormal group that's being a little too aggressive and they're trying to conjure up something in the house. And in turn, that's channeling something to happen negatively to him, no matter where he is. Mm -hmm. So he's still attached, but I think the, the general feeling is that there's still something absolutely horrible inside of that house. And there's a lot of evidence that has happened since that. And right after they moved out, the next woman to move in got kicked out of the house for practicing witchcraft. She had drawn uh, a pentagram in the basement. She had uh, painted it on the floor of the basement. And the owner of the house, you know, the landlord, this guy Les, um, still, still owns the house to this day. He's a retired police officer. And I guess he showed up at the house. And the house was kind of a wreck. Like, there's a lot of rumors around, but a lot of it got dismissed by him himself. And he's looking around the house. He's like, all right, she's not doing a great job upkeeping this house she clearly isn't taking care of the property but he went down the basement and he saw this giant pentagram painted on the floor he's like all right you you're gotta out. go you know where you are you know what you're in? like yeah, right, right. what do we do i think she was drawn to the house because of the the spirits that were in there or? i think that's a that's possibility a, that's a great um theory like because when you're open to this stuff you're look you're not always looking for it you just kind of get to it but yeah, this to me of all the stories we've covered and all the stories we will cover, other than my grandparents' house, to me this house terrifies me more than any other story we've ever told. And why is that? It just so your world traveled. You've been to a lot of places. Do you ever like just look at a place or walk into a place and you just get this feeling? Absolutely. Right. So Absolutely. like when I see anything with the Sally House, I just get this pit in my stomach, and it's the same with my grandparents' house. Like when I would walk into that house. I would get this pit that would just like, so looking at this house, I get that feeling. Um, when you look at it too, it, it's a very nondescript kind of small little house. Right. Right. It's like it's, not like you not some kind of 
you know, classic haunted mansion. It's just a little dumpy house yeah. on, the, on a street surrounded by other dumpy just, Which doesn't look like a classic like, haunted house. Yeah, it looks like yeah, a house yeah. you go to for a Christmas party. Yeah. Right, right. <laughs> you expect them all to look like Amityville, you know? Yeah, but the, well, that's, mm. but the funny thing even with that, I just did a show on Amityville. Yeah. Uh, it's the same thing. It's in the middle of a residential area. It's weird. You yeah. never expect that. You think it's going to be like a, in, a, in a clearing with acres and it's on no, a cliff it's or house, something. I think it's 112 Ocean Drive. Ocean Drive, yeah. House, house, Amityville House. Yeah. House, house. It's just yeah. there. You a know? lot of them are like that too. Like we did a, the Houghton Mansion in Massachusetts and we head out there. It's a beautiful place in North Adams and we're driving up there and it's just like, this is a regular neighborhood. There's going to be a mansion here. And then, sure enough, just on this regular road, there's just this yeah. mansion, just and they had, they, had, they had turned it into a, uh, a Masonic lodge. Yeah, <laughs> like this is just out of place, but okay, we're at the mansion, and we had mentioned on our episode about it, it's like you you expect when you go to a place like this to drive up a long windy road with creepy trees, the gate, and the gate that's going to open <laughs> yeah, it, but it's going to creep open by itself when you walk up to it. And it's just not the case oh, in a lot of these places. There. So let's talk a little bit about what you think what you think it could be, because there's something else that maybe you guys haven't brought it up yet that I read just briefly about the controversy of Sally the child mm-hmm. that did you read of this part that, that it could have been his daughter the, the doctor could have been right the illegitimate daughter with the maid with the, the maid yeah. yeah maid which in the 1800s would be right. especially in right especially here. in Atchison Atchison in the 1800s when it was established was very pro-slavery so in their very conservative neighborhood and they just if you that wouldn't it would have been a horrible look if he were to right father so you a kind child. of kept the the, the the child secret almost right so and this is where the story gets to a level of what are we going to believe in because honestly there are no records that Sally existed like we said earlier like the record keeping is is gone it's all just kind of passed down from tales so one of the tales is is that this is his illegitimate daughter right and even the and the, so the woman that brought him by would have been the mother. And there's theories that he didn't botch the surgery. He killed her on purpose. And then there's also wow. theories that he killed the mother too and buried them both out back. That, I read that too, that the mother then attacked him and he killed the mother as well. Mm-hmm. Like you said, it's a lot of hearsay, but maybe that could be some of the, the mountain. The, the, right. They the, said that there was another female spirit there. You know, when the, you mentioned it, when the, um, the, the face more transformed into an older woman. Yeah. And yep. a lot of legends have some truth to them, right? Like anytime you hear a legend, sure. there's some sort of basis of that legend. So that's why the the main facts that we think are probably facts are there was a girl there that did die on an operating table. What was the reasoning behind it? That's where you get a little um you know, you gotta figure out what you actually believe. So if there if you're if you're going with a demon theory, then I think it makes sense that demons just cause chaos, they wreak havoc. The demon, you could say maybe a demon caused this doctor to go crazy oh. and kill these people. And maybe there are no ghosts. There's just a demon causing havoc, posing as a little girl. Right back to Amity again, right? Well, yeah, exactly. Or conjuring, you know, that's sort of Conjuring, yeah, exactly. There's some, uh, like, fun coincidences with this house, too. Are you familiar with the Velisca Axe Murder House? That paper just moved by itself. Um, what did <laughs> that paper just moved across the table by itself? Oh God! This one right here. Yeah. Papers now? <laughs> oh, shit! You just freaked out. You, you, you guys pulling a rib on me? No, I, I swear. But we're in the most, we're in the scariest part of this. Well, this building. is you guys. If you, we're in the basement of the uh, the uh, feet ballroom here in Rhode Island. It looks haunted, like I said. It's pretty um, I, I do not know the axe murder house that you speak of. Oh, uh, so like there's this house in Villisca, Iowa. It's the Villisca axe murder house where I think it was eight people were murdered by an axe murderer. And the address of that house is 508 East Main Street. And the Sally house is 508 North Main Street. And 
Lizzie Borden axe murderer was in Fall River, Massachusetts, where the area code is 508. So it's like... It's 508 North 2nd Street. If it's, yeah. So either, it's, either way. It's, it's, it's all I mean, like it's very coincidences, common. but it's, it's just like fun stuff to connect. But it's, it's interesting because like you said, when you have a house like this with the history that it has, so people are still living in there? No. No, but no. they are... Um, you can actually rent the house out now and stay there for the night and investigate it yourself. Because they're, they're promoting it as the, like the most haunted house in America. Yeah, so. and the stuff that's been coming out since the Pickmans moved out and people have been staying there is some of the creepiest evidence I've ever seen. There is a particular EVP that somebody captured. I told you earlier about like thinking of that story of my, of my youth, like getting the goosebumps. When I heard this EVP, my skin just tightened up. It was terrifying. What did you hear when it was on it? Yeah, it was on... Um it was a. It was on. Yeah, it was on a, one of the paranormal podcasts. It was um, astonishing legends. That was the podcast. But they they had caught. And I figured we mentioned them. Give them credit for what we're talking about. Before, yeah, have yeah. they? Yeah, they they got a, an EVP of something absolutely screaming. It at sounded them like a device. demon screaming. Yeah. It is screaming. terrifying audio. Wow. While they were in the house. Yeah. While they were in the house. Like they didn't, demonic. Like they didn't get it. Like they didn't hear it when it happened. They asked some questions. They were using uh, a spirit box or something. Or no, they're using a voice recorder one of the older ones and they asked it some questions and then they left and then when they were reviewing the audio tapes after they just hear this screech come barreling through the uh through the speaker just it, man, went, it I, wasn't one of these evps that you listen to you're like hmm, what am i hearing no this thing was screaming yeah. into this thing for a long time it's worth checking out and, Absolutely. and most of the people that go to this house now when they do get something they're like i'm glad i went to this house i'm glad i experienced it but i will never go back to this right. house and you know you just see the fear in their eyes as they're telling the story, and you're just like, oh, man. It's we, we did a, uh, another, I've had some cool uh, cool experiences. Another that did go on the Tribal Channel, where we went to the um, bayous of Louisiana, yeah. looking for some kind of like legends and creatures, but part of that legend was um, Marie Laveau, who was like a, a voodoo queen, mm-hmm. and this haunted area of one of the bayous. Yeah. And long story short because i've told it many times is is being out there you could literally feel like fight or flight like i felt like i was on a roller coaster and my insides were getting shaken Mm -hmm. and it was at the point i was like okay we gotta get out of here this is not fun anymore there's (laughs) something going on here and it make it's making me sick yeah we need to leave and I think you probably would feel that if you went to a house like this, if you were prone to. I think so. To, it's, you know. it's tough to get that feeling, especially like we've been to plenty of haunted places, and you go into these places, and for the most part, when you go with a group, you're having fun. Yeah. Right. So you're everyone's spirits. I'm like, let's go, let's go, you know, like, and, and you're having a good time. I will say, other than Rob's house, because I did experience that at Rob's house quite a few times, but when I went to when we we, did, we went and investigated the Conjuring house. And, yeah, yeah. and I know you had, uh, I think it was Andrew, Angel, Angel, yeah, Andrew, Andrea Perrin was on the show yeah. with you, but the, uh, when we were there, we were having a good time and you know, we caught some stuff. It was, it was cool. Got some EVPs, some intelligent stuff like talking right to us, but it, I was never scared, but then we're wrapping up and everybody leaves and I'm like, let me go back in and just make sure I take pictures of every room. So we have enough content to put the episode together. And when I was in that house by myself, it was a whole different experience. I was horrified. Fun's over, right? For the, yeah. And we were there for, what, 10 hours? Like, yeah. like, I wasn't scared the whole night. But then when I walked in by myself, I was like, it was like the whole room was looking at me. The whole house was just looking at me. Every room, I was like, I can't get out of here fast enough. And that's when that feeling set in. And it's just, you know, I, I think when, when a lot of people, when they go into these places is, and you go in with a big group, it's a good idea to split up. 
mm. you know, split up into different rooms so you actually get some time alone with whatever's feeling, inside yeah. that house, you know? Emily's Bridge was probably the other one that I felt that feeling when we went to, there's a haunted bridge, covered bridge in Vermont uh, called Emily's Bridge, which is mostly based on legend. We went there just to cover it. It's not well known, and we didn't think we were going to get anything, and it was one of the most terrifying experiences we've ever had. It was either that or the hypothermia setting. <laughs> yeah, it, <laughs> it was, was very cold. cold. It was freezing. We were, in Vermont. we were in Vermont like last month. It was absolutely freezing. Let's but talk about a couple of the things that, that you guys mentioned in, in the Sally House mm-hmm. as we start to wind down here. Um, the, the, the couple things that really stood out, I've heard of the scratchings quite a few times and, and, and things of that nature, but the, the stuffed animals being placed uh, in a circle facing out does that have any significance to, to it's anything? A, it's a weird detail because if you think like if you and it's it's interesting that you picked up on that um, because it is a weird detail. Like you think if a kid's setting up stuffed animals to play, they'd be facing each other, right? Sure. Facing in. Why are they facing out? What is that? Is that just a random like a circumstantial thing, or is it? What does it mean? What they what? had also mentioned the first time that it happened that it was three stuffed animals. Which again, you deal with the three, you deal with the mocking of the Trinity, three scratches, three teddy bears. They were all touching hands as well, or positioned as if they were touching hands. So that's an interesting detail. It's another set, where, another chance, another experience where you have but three is this things. Something that happens quite often no. where objects are being moved. Oh, objects being moved, sure, yeah. I've never heard of them in a circle facing out before. That's I think that's the unique Blair to this Witch story. Project where there's like some kind of weird, you know, it seems like a ritual, Stonehenge or right? ritual, yeah. yeah. Whatever, the, whatever the, the placements of these objects are, it's weird. It's that, it's that, and I think that the fires. There's so many strange things that happen at the house, and the the fires being controlled and putting themselves out. And uh, she had also evidence of candles being burned when. She never lit them, and she would come home. Candles would be lit. There was a lot of things with fire going on yeah, in that I was house. Yeah, that was the second thing I was going to mention. Tony starting on fire, and you mentioned the the stuffed animals starting on fire. Mm-hmm. I haven't heard of a lot of you know, ghost stories with that happening. There's stories of um, what's referred to as elemental pol- elemental poltergeists. There's a lot of a lot of cases regarding like water, where water appears in mysterious places, unexplained. Um, and there are some fire, one you know, some cases involving fire. A lot of cases the house burns down, so there's not much to investigate. But there are cases where you have fire poltergeists, and that's just you know things in, you know inexplicably catch on fire, spontaneous combustions or whatnot. They sometimes credit that to Native American spirits. When you know Native Americans would name their children, they would name them after elements. You know, you get like blowing wind or running, sure. you know things like that. And you know when they die, if their spirits linger, sometimes they maybe. Take um, the form of the element the that they're named after. Oh, I see. Yes. I see. Oh, interesting. So that's one theory. And the house theory. did was built on what was formerly Kanza tribe, Native Americans. Right. Um, and so a lot of people have kind of debated that and tried to debunk it. But one of the things that did happen was when that area was being settled, they would take a lot of the limestone slates that were used as uh, burial markers from you know Native Americans, and they would actually use that to build the foundation of their house. Mm-hmm. So if you think if you think of that in today's term, that would be like going to the graveyard, knocking wow. down a bunch of gravestones, and then building your basement on oh, it. Oh, wow, yeah. Not going to say that's definitely going to haunt your house, but that definitely creates uh, the opportunity. Yeah, right. And the limestone goes back to the stone tape theory where, I don't know if you've heard of the stone tape theory. I haven't. But basically, to make a really long theory short, when something traumatic happens, a death or some kind of tragic event, if there's certain kind of stones in the area like limestone, uh, those events can leave an imprint. Basically, if something traumatic were to happen again, it could replay those instances almost like a, t- like, I a see. like a cassette tape. Yeah, right. It's interesting because the Bridgewater Triangle. One of the things that we discovered is that there is a 
I'm getting this wrong, but there's a, a uh, form of granite uh. that's underneath the surface that is in the Bridgewater area. You can find this only yeah. within that area. Mm-hmm. It, 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 it goes out a, a mile or two around it, but basically there's something in that stone mm-hmm. that's able to, like you said, almost it, suck it, in. It the retains spirit. energy. It retains the spirit, yeah, like a, like a sponge. Yeah. Right. Yeah, you're not wrong. That is granite is one of the rocks that and it's scientifically it retains energy. So when you die, right. energy escapes your body in the form of heat and that energy goes somewhere. It's the first rule of physics. All energy is the same energy that ever existed. So if when it leaves your body, where does it go? It gets absorbed into these stones that naturally retain energy. You so that's that's exactly yeah. what we talked about on on the, on the on the show that we did and then mm-hmm. how that could hold this energy of all of these spirits and deaths and blood and everything else. Because it's only in that Bridgewater, what is it, the twenty mile radius or sixty mile radius or right. two hundred yeah. miles or whatever the hell it is. Yeah, yeah. Now, it's like a hundred. Yeah, it's, yeah, that's yeah, inconsequential. Yeah. So last few things. So this house now, like we said, nobody lives there, but it's more of a, of almost like a a, a museum now. A, a kind of, it's it's, a it's literally just for paranormal investigations now. Like you can call. A, you can call and book the house and you know they're probably book, you probably call a month in advance or something like that but you can go pay and just either go by the hour and go do a tour or you could pay to, to rent it out for the night and it's just for paranormal investigations now what, what i like about them though is they don't overdress the house so a lot of these paranormal places you can go i mean not to throw the conjuring house under the bus you go to Conjuring House, they have an Annabelle doll in every single room. Oh, I got you. You oh, know, like, so yeah. they're overdressing A merch it. stand in the back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, they're doing that. The Sally House, they have the nursery set up, like, with stuffed animals and stuff. But to me, that's part of the story. Sure. So, like, I'd want that in there if I was if I was investigating. Everything else is, like, pretty much the same way that the Pikmins left it. Who right owns down it? The it's still that, that retired police officer. I actually gotcha. think he doesn't. I'm pretty sure the Probably town it. owns it now. The town owns it. I, know the, yeah. I know the town handles the bookings. I'm not yeah. entirely sure if that still is or not. But. And, and I guess the last question is, when you're talking about these haunted houses, and it's almost like if you saw a Bigfoot kill it, like you don't want to kill it, you want to keep it alive. Right. Is that the same reason why they don't just tear this thing down yeah. and just get rid of it? still an attraction. It's still pulling in money. You know, yeah, so sure. th- there's that. And I mean, if you're taking the superstitious side of things, like maybe you don't, if you tear down the house, where's it going to go? Is it going to disappear? Or is it going to go to the neighbor's house? Is it the house <laughs> itself or yeah. is it you yeah. know, the people surrounding it or whatever? What's going to happen to poor Tony if we tear down that house? It's going to burst into flames. Yeah. <laughs> well, guys, this was really, uh, really interesting stuff. You guys did a great job. Thanks. Nice. You got it down uh, to the science here between the three of you. So. We're trying. Yeah, it took, uh, took 25 episodes, but we're finally not talking <laughs> over each other as much Next as we used to. Next you guys yeah. get another cool topic, we'll, uh, we'll have to do it again. Sounds yeah. good. And if we're ever in H's in Kansas together... Uh, We'll go to the Sally House. I'm buying. Sounds good. Ten dollar admission. Let's do it. (laughs) You guys bring the beer. Awesome. The more beer you drink, the more ghosts you see. Absolutely. That's Dave's theory.